And welcome to Central Coast Voices, a program addressing the ramifications of change in our communities and beyond, and how today's choices will impact tomorrow's community. This program is a project of action for healthy communities, and it's presented in collaboration with KCBX and the Community Foundation of San Luis Obispo County. Today, Fred and his guests from Transitions Mental Health Association will be talking about what is being done locally to address the significant mental health crisis among teenage girls in our community. A recent CDC report shows a serious increase in teens facing depression, anxiety, and considering suicide. Join Fred and his guests today as they discuss the new support groups working with teenage girls facing these challenges. We invite you to listen, learn, and participate in our conversation today. We're once again able to take your live calls at 805-781-3875. Now, let's join Fred Monroe and his guests. Over to you, Fred. Glad to be with you today. Thanks, Brad. I'm Fred Monroe, and good afternoon. This is Central Coast Voices. I'm your host. Our goal is to bring you credible, valid information and insights from diverse members of our community. Our goal is to really look at the choices that our community has and what we can do to make a better community for our members and for tomorrow. We, um, as Brad mentioned um, briefly, we do have a significant mental health crisis among teens across the nation, and a recent report from the CDC shows that there's a shocking increase in the number of teenage girls coping with mental health issues. The report that from the CDC shows that teen girls are experiencing record high levels of sadness, violence, and suicidal risks in their lives. The percentage of girls who are seriously considering attempting suicide in the CDC report was showing at 30%. That is a very scary number. Joining me today is Trista Ochoa. She is the Behavioral Health Navigation Program Manager with Transitions Mental Health Association. Brooke Cleaver, who is Lead Behavioral Health Navigator, and she's also with Transitions Mental Health. And Lauren Mineta, she is an intern assisting with the Teen Support Group Program, which is a key factor in what we're going to talk about today. Um, for those of you who are not familiar with Transitions Mental Health Association, it is probably one of the best umbrella organizations on the Central Coast, dealing with different, diverse, but very clear um, needed services within mental health um, support, both from ha- from housing on one extreme and um, support groups for aging adults um, to programs like this. I There is so much information about this. I'm really not quite sure where we start. So I think what I am going to do um, is if we can try and define what the basis of this program was and how it came about and what a navigator is. Yeah. Um, so I think how this all kind of started was our community de- development uh, director, Michael Kaplan, had a son that was attending Slow High. And um, he was talking to his son one day in the kitchen, just asking him, like, hey, how's high school going? And they had a real honest and vulnerable conversation about the, some of the challenges his son was facing um, at Slow High. They had recently had a suicide um, on campus from another student. And the the campus was just kind of 
looking for more mental health support. So Michael um, and along with Barry Johnson and some of our other directors there at TEMA, they really kind of went out and started to look for to, to formulate a high school program to meet the kids in classrooms, to provide basic mental health education um, and just provide kids with resources. That grew into what we now know as our high school program, which they present in classrooms. They do lesson plans. They do a lot in several of the schools here on the coast. And then recently, because of this news of just girls being more sad and, and really their mental health kind of dropping and declining, especially sorry, post-pandemic, um, we received some funding from the Community Foundation, uh, Women's Legacy Foundation, um, to really put a spotlight on teens and their mental health. And so uh, Lauren and um, one of our other behavioral health navigators, Fernanda de Leon, um, have put together just a support group for girls to, to come and process and learn coping skills. And, and all of those things needed to kind of help navigate teen mental health as it's kind of hard these days for teens. What is your role in this? So I am the program manager. Um, so I get to oversee this and, and really kind of just be their support system when they're, you know, working with these girls and trying to figure out, you know, how to what next topics would be great for them. Um, and yeah, we just provide support to them. And then Brooke um, is actually going to be taking over the youth department uh, in our program and going to be providing those supports. And we have some exciting opportunities with this funding to really provide some really great support to our teens in their area. So we just heard from Trista, who is the the program manager for this, and we probably need a clarification because there's a word that may not fit in people's vocabulary on a regular basis, um, and that is what is a behavioral health navigator. Well, we uh, I think the definition's kind of in our title. We you know, help individuals navigate a variety of resources in the community that range from finding a therapist to signing up for food stamps to, um, you know, finding different support groups, really a, a variety of different connections that can help support someone's mental health. This is a program that came about, I mean, the we refer to the CDC study but to some extent, a lot of this program was – you're talking about being uh, provocated, if you will, by one of your staff members who was talking to their own child in the community. Um, how did it happen to be that – I mean, the CDC did not happen to do a study the same year that the transitions decided this would be a good program. Um, it, it's, coincidences like that don't happen as coincidences. No. Um, so actually, that conversation was way back in probably like 2015. Um, and so then uh, Michael, he is one of our, he's you know, our community engagement director. So he's really um, familiar with grant writing. And so he went and sought out monies in order to support this idea. And then um, we were able to make that uh, program happen. And then the woman's legacy came to us with the CDC studies and say, hey, you're already doing this, and it seems to be working in high schools. We really want to focus on youth, especially female. Um, and so then we were like, let's put together a support group because that was a huge need in our community. We have a family services department as well, and they have some youth family partners that work with um, 
adults with loved ones that are in the Tay age range, which is, you know, 13 to about 25. And they were all hearing from the parents that how much they needed a support group for their girls um, just to go and and be in an environment with people that were experiencing similar things and that's where that beauty of like peer work comes in that's a big proponent of um our behavioral health navigation uh, program is just peer work and so you know letting someone be with other people that have experienced that and learning from each other and walking alongside each other and helping each other towards that path of recovery is, is something very special and to bring that to the youth um teens especially, I think that's really transformative in their journey of mental health because they see that they're not alone, that a lot of their peers are experiencing the same things, and that there is a, a feeling of security in that mutuality they experience. The portion of the CDC study that I was able to, to review and some things that came in the comments that you shared with us for this, uh, there is a tremendously skewed percentage of young women. Um, I, I, I have trouble with the concept of, of – we're just talking about it as girls. Okay? Mm-hmm. We're talking about teenage girls, mm-hmm. but young women um, who are who are far more prone to have mental health issues um, overcome their day-to-day existence. Um, and I'm, I, I'm not quite sure how – boys are able to escape some of this, but maybe it's the the peer pressure for boys is different than the peer pressure for girls. I think there's a little bit of truth to that. I think, though, um, I'm really excited to see our, our new generation. I think for a long time, males specifically were told to kind of, that that wasn't in their scope, right? When they were experiencing emotions, that wasn't um, part of what they could do that wasn't manly, I guess, is a way to put it. And so that they had to kind of put up and shut up. Whereas girls, you know, from a young age, were taught, oh, you know, girls will cry. It's going to be okay. So they're, I think they had a little bit of a head start in acknowledging their emotions and feeling them. I think today, though, I know Brooke can also speak to this greatly, is that teen girls are are really influenced by social media. And there is, there's a lot of good to social media, but there's also a lot of bad. Um, I know, speaking from my own experience, I have a daughter, she's um, a freshman in high school, and there was, um, she experienced, she has experienced her own mental health challenges. Um, and a lot of it had to do with just unrealistic standards that were put in front of her of how she should look, how she should behave, how she should act, um, what she, you know, what she should be interested, what she shouldn't. And that put a lot of pressure on her. And I know Brooke has also, um, you know, can expound upon that as well. Yeah, there's absolutely um, different lived experiences in being a, a young girl, being a young woman, um, and navigating society, having to balance all the different expectations that we have of looking pretty all the time or being soft-spoken or not being too assertive or having this kind of body. And that's oftentimes perpetuated by media and in movies and in songs and now on social media, which follows us everywhere. Um, I mean, growing up as a young girl was, was hard enough. I can't imagine what it's like now having that follow me all the time in my pocket in the classroom mm-hmm. when I go home. Um, but that's not to say that, you know, young boys and, and young men don't have mental health struggles as well. I think we're just they're just socialized more to, you know, kind of like Trista said, not to speak up or not to explore those emotions or, 
you know, to be quote unquote manly and, and repress those emotions. I know Lauren has a lot of experience yeah, so because she's the, younger. The, yeah, <laughs> you're, you're, you're the youngest person in the, the, right, in the room. And right. So this is the closest to your right. life from a standpoint of yesterday. If you right. I mean, I think now the overall conversation of mental health on social media has changed a little bit more. And then like what Trista was saying in Brooke, also just like the stigma around mental health and talking about it, I think is lessening more and more and more. Um, however, I think talking about mental health experiences is one thing on social media, but like, what are the next steps kind of thing? Um, I feel like now on social media is a lot of, you know, this is my experience. This is what's been happening. But then it's like, how do we connect teens, girls and boys with the resources that are available to them in their communities through support groups, um, through other avenues that are healthier therapists, stuff like that. It's like, how do we connect them to resources as well? An observation about social media coming from the old guy in the room (laughs) um, may not be realistic, but it occurred to me, and I I will tell you, I generally still prefer to have a phone conversation with someone or talk to them face-to-face. And it occurred to me, as, as this is being explained by the three of you, while social media and texting may be the way that a good portion of the population we're talking about that's at risk here communicates, it's also the way that leaves the most telltale signs of a need out of it. Mm-hmm. If I send a even, even a, an eight or nine paragraph text string with someone um, – they're not going to actually hear the tone of my voice. They're not going to be able to interject a question in the, in the middle of that until the string runs out, if you will. Um, texting and email becomes, if you will, a set of serial monologues. And I'm wondering whether or not that is a factor that gets in the way of um, youth in need being, being noticed by their peers. That is an interesting viewpoint. I think there you can hide a lot more via texting. You yeah. can um, often when I know with my own daughter, like um, when I am texting with her, um, and she's not like right in front of me, but we're talking about like, hey, how did your day go, or like what what's going on, and I'm checking in on her mental health as a parent. I do know that like, oh yeah, fine. That doesn't. That's not an answer that satisfies me. Um, so then I will dig more, and I'll be like, okay, well, name three good things that happened today, or I'll start asking questions because it can be a very like, I'm fantastic, and then you can read that and be like, oh, they're doing great. That's it's great. I'm done. But they can hide behind their words a little bit more because you're not seeing their facial expressions. You're not seeing the just how they're presenting themselves. And so I think a lot of the key work that we do is that in person we're, you know, yeah, we're also we're listening to words, but we're also looking at body posture. We're looking at how you're, you know, holding a conversation with us. We're we're looking at eye contact. There's a lot more that goes into like our work um, than just listening to the words because it's there's when someone is struggling or suffering with mental health illnesses or challenges, it comes off in multiple ways, like you're saying. And so being in person is probably the best way to kind of help someone. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think that that lack of human interaction regularly has Mm -hmm. a significant influence on all of our mental health, Um, you know, since 
we see a lot of teens just glued to their phones, um, you know, even adults standing in line glued to their phones, that lack of eye contact even and having conversations in person and those face-to-face check-ins really influence our mental health. We, you know, are human beings and we're emotional at, at our root and we need those daily human face-to-face interactions. So I think technology is beneficial in so many ways, but it's also impacted a lot of those need, those social needs that we have. So it's imperative that we start to educate our teens on healthy balances with social media, with technology. Yeah. This is this is not germane. The, the the topic I'm going to give an example of is not germane to the topic, but the exchange I think maybe. I have a brother who lives in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. He sent me a text message one day saying, "Gee, I didn't know you were here." And I went, and and we actually no, it wasn't. It was a it was a message on Facebook. And I said, well, I'm not here. I'm at home. And he went, no, no, I meant here as in on Facebook. So the inference of the way words fit a situation sometimes, I mean, that was a minor thing. It's just the best example I can come up with for whether or not what people hear in texting and social media really um, allows things to get lost. There is a, a loss in translation because there's so much more facts that you don't know, right? So uh, those one-off texts or those, you know, it requires a little bit more digging. And it's, it, like we said before, it's just so easy to hide behind, like, phrases of, I'm fine, I'm doing great. Or even the facade, I think, of social media of perfectly angling your pictures to make it look like everything is copacetic or setting up things and making it look like you're having a fantastic time. I I had an experience with a roommate who you know, they were depressed and they wouldn't leave their room, but their Instagram was popping with, I did this today and I did that. Um, And I don't know, like it's, you can live kind of that double life on social media um, and really hide that you're struggling because there is that push to want to just perform for other people, get those likes or something that like, is in human nature about gamifying life where we get like all these likes and we're like people are friends with us or I have all of these friends but when push comes to shove and I need somebody to talk to in real in real life in person um, I feel isolated because all of those friends are online and I need you know yeah you need human connection like Brooke says it's so important to one's mental health is just being connected with other people Someone might just post something like, life sucks. And if it's a flip comment, you, you write it off as, oh, this person's always complaining or this person's always sarcastic. But you may get life sucks as a comment from someone who is in desperate need of help right now and doesn't know how to be more specific about it. I think um, our clinical director, Megan Boas Alvarez, she has this, um, like, I guess motto or way of life when um, because she's very active in our in our community she has kids in school and so um, when she hears somebody say like oh I just want to shoot myself or life sucks like she will stop and she'll honestly ask them you know do you really feel that way you know because I'm I'm here to talk and people often get caught off guard like oh no it's just a phrase and she's like but I would rather just ask them and have that conversation than to have them walk away and genuinely feel that way and not get the help they need. Yeah. P- 
people who don't get the help they need, it's too late when you find that out afterwards. And I think you, you probably among your peers see that kind of thing happen. I, I want to remind folks, we're sitting here talking today with some wonderful guests from Transitions Mental Health Association about uh, the the issues of mental health primarily among uh, teenage girls in our community and a program that Transitions has going on right now that really wants to make sure that that safety net and that uh, is is more available to people. If you'd like to be part of this discussion, we would gladly take your call and uh, listen to what you may have to say about this, either from experience or from some questions that maybe we have not uh, looked at carefully enough for you in the program. The phone number is 805-781-3875. That's 781-3875. And I will remind you, as I remind people often, that we only get to do this program until a little before 2 o'clock. So if something comes to mind that you'd like to talk about, please call us as soon as possible. Um, if you call in at 5 minutes to 2, we may not be able to get to the call, um, and you may have a, a need to have part of this discussion now. Um, Lauren, I'd, I'd be curious as to um, your – your involvement in this as the the youngest kid on the block at the moment. I don't know if there may be some younger people involved in the program, but the youngest person in the in the room here. Um, what what does this do to fit in with your experience um, that you went through as a teenager? Yeah, so I, you know, throughout high school, had my own struggles with mental health, coming from like an Asian American family. It wasn't really as talked about. Um, I feel like even just like a couple years ago, it wasn't really as talked about as it is now. Um, and trying to navigate through my own struggles and hiding behind social media um, until like kind of a breaking point where I needed to turn to my mom. Um, but like navigating the mental health sphere in school, outside of school, finding a therapist, um, having someone to help guide me having that person in my mom and in my dad definitely helped um, to start the co- those conversations, um, opening up conversations at home and then being able to get the help I needed. So I understand as a peer what someone might be going through in high school and then how it sort of manifests into later on in early adulthood and later on in life. I mean, it's something that I know I always will have with me, but um, building the supports along the way, learning about therapy, learning about other programs, after-school programs that I was able to start and go into as well. Um, This specific program means a lot to me because I feel like I can give back what I've learned to other teen girls, Um, and I know my co-facilitator, the same thing, just giving our own experiences and being there for people who might be in the same situation that I was in couple years ago um I think this group is really cool especially because we just kind of try to meet people where they're at in every group um as mental health is something that doesn't necessarily stop and is an ongoing process um being transparent and honest about where my co-facilitator and I are at um with the girls and them to us is important yeah this, this is a strange question for me to ask on the radio because it usually is not germane, but I need to ask, how old are you? 
I'm 21. Okay. Yeah. So you've been out of high school for uh, three about three years. Probably. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. So this is a but but looking at you, I mean, you're you could be tw- you could be 25 and you could be 14, and I may not be real sure of your age. <laughs> But that means that you fit well into the peer group that is the most mm-hmm. important here. Mm-hmm. Um, how do most people approach this topic with you when they know what you do? I mean, this is kind of your day job, if you will, right now. Mm-hmm. So it's like, do you get um, questions like, why are you doing this? Um, doesn't it feel unusual? Um, why is this needed? Friends that say to you, oh, I'm fine. Why would anybody want to go to a program like this? I think that may may be the key thing we talk about. Why would anybody want to do this when they want to look stronger and independent in some cases? I honestly think it's the opposite. And my friends and peers, I think they need someone to talk to. So once you open that door and you say, oh, this is the work that I do. I work with people who are struggling with behavioral health or mental health struggles and issues it's like that's opening the floodgates for them to sort of be like oh like that's kind of cool like tell me more I've experienced this before or I never thought of that before I think being able to open up the doors and talk about it in my own experience with my peers and friends is beneficial it's it's the it gives us a good excuse to talk about something that people don't want to usually talk about yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm almost 30 years old, and when I was 21, you know, 14 when I was a teen, when I was a young adult, um, I mental health wasn't in my conversations with friends at all. Um, all of these terms that we, we talk about now that, you know, is so prominent in the work that we do, um, these weren't conversations that I was having even growing up, but seeing, I've definitely seen a big generational shift with people my age and then our younger generations where it's a lot more common. Um, it's a lot more common to have these conversations. And I think on one end, social media can be a big detriment, but I think social media has also opened a lot of those doors and increased access and allowed people to have these difficult conversations behind screens and kind of be that icebreaker um, for these conversations that are difficult to have it's not easy to ask for help it's not easy to be vulnerable but i think i'll give credit to technology and social media in that it's opened a lot of doors and it's helped normalize these conversations and i've seen that a lot with younger generations that it's normal to talk about your anxiety your depression and um you know to talk about it amongst your friends i was going to say like um, just from my daughter, she's 15, she's going to be 15, but a lot of her friends are really open and honestly mm-hmm. sharing where they are. A lot of the roadblocks that they face are, and I've experienced this too with, um, you know, parents of her friends. It's, it's more so the parents that are a little mm-hmm. bit more, um, shy to broach those topics. And, um, you know, it, it's a funny story. Like my daughter is open about her experience and her struggles with her friends and she, um, you know, she goes to treatment, she does her work. And so then I had a parent call me and was just very like, did you know that this is happening? I was like, yeah, no, I know that we have those conversations daily. And I know where she's at. And, and we you know, this is her treatment team. And this is what she's doing. And, and the response that I got back was like, Oh, you know, I think, um, 
I think, yeah, like Brooke and, and Lauren have said, this generation is just charting a path to be more vulnerable and more just authentic with themselves. And I think that that really is setting up a lot of great skills that they're learning to just coping skills to just not hiding behind that shame. And it's exciting to see. As a parent of adult daughters, that's very that's very good to hear because I am – I am surprised at how, um, how how many kids use the the technology of right now to to hide behind and putting down taking down some of those barriers in the same way as I think is important. Mm-hmm. We probably need to make sure we don't leave this out of the discussion, and I apologize for not mentioning it before. We we need to tell our listeners how they can contact this program because everything I think takes place with a first call or a first connection or a first text. And if we don't tell people how to do that, um, we, we have failed in this program today. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, you know, reaching out to Tima, there's two main ways to do it. One is you can call our just our you can Google Transitions Mental Health Association, San Luis. You'll pop up our number. Our direct line number is 805-540-6500 and press zero and you can talk to either any of our wonderful front desk staff who also have lived experience themselves and they can help navigate you to the programs that you need and they can get you in contact with us. Another great resource I think that everybody should have in their phone is our hotline number because that is a great place just to start. If you have somewhere or someone that is experiencing you yourself are experiencing symptoms, um, calling the hotline, talking to somebody there, they can get you some resources on where to start your journey with mental health and getting treatment or support groups. Um, that hotline number is just so good to save in your phone and that is 800-783-0607. And then once again, that is 800-783-0607. There is also a national um, three-digit number for people who are um, facing, thinking about, or being challenged by possible suicide. Um, And I and I flip the numbers around. So I believe it's it's nine eight eight. Is that okay? Yes. (laughs) It's nine eight eight, and that is a resource that works anywhere in the United States. um, And they can for someone who's local. If you if you can't. If you can't figure the other parts out, that will always get you um, connected and it will get you connected to an organization that can also find Transitions Mental Health. Um, by the way, if you if you Google TMHA, which is Transitions Mental Health Association, it's amazing how, how that works. I actually checked that again to, no, knowing that it worked, but I was thinking about it um, when, when you Google things. So uh, this program is available. If, if someone calls in and wants to wants to connect with this program and find out how to be part of one of the the um, the peer support groups. What kind of questions are they going to get when they when they call in? And I I ask that question only because I know people sometimes. Um, it was too scary, and I didn't want to call in, or they asked too many questions. And I'll I'll leave that with the break. We're going to come back afterwards, and we can fill that in because I'm running up running a little late. I should have broke gone for the break about a minute ago. But um, this is Central Coast Voices. We're talking with folks from the uh, the, the teen peer counseling program um, at Transitions Mental Health, and we'll be back with you shortly. 
I'm Brad Kyle with this item from the KCBX Community Calendar. Check out the art installation by Leslie Sutcliffe titled Mementos of Six Millennia at the Sloan Museum of Art. It's running now through January 29th. The exhibition is made up of 96 panels of varying sizes, offering dynamic visual elements. The panels incorporate diverse images sourced from newspapers, encyclopedias, and the Internet. If you'd like more information, visit slowma.org. Just a reminder that the KCBX Community Calendar features arts, entertainment, and nonprofit events in San Luis Obispo, Santa Barbara, and Southern Monterey counties. You can submit your item or event to be shared. You'll find it on our calendar page right there at the website, kcbx.org. Central Coast Voices will continue in just a moment. I'm Maria Hinojosa. Next time on Latino USA. We remember and celebrate the life of Maria Martin, the founding executive producer of Latino USA, with an oral history of our show. Maria Martin shares her memories of how it all started and what it took to keep the show going in its first decade of existence. And we hear from colleagues over the next two decades. That's next time on Latino USA. On the next Fresh Air, Charlie Savage explains why a second Trump administration may be more radical than the first. Savage has reported on Trump's authoritarian leanings, his plans to expand executive power, and the well-funded infrastructure that would support him. Savage covers national security and legal policy for The New York Times. Join us. As climate change takes its toll on the American Southwest, cities are finding creative ways to recycle their water supply. We live in a desert environment. We don't get much rain. Our water resources are limited. And this is a way to maximize the water resources we do have. I'm Kai Rizdal, purified wastewater, straight from the tap, really purified, we should say. That's next time on Marketplace. That's ahead today on our Thursday here on KCBX. Fresh air coming up from 3 to 4, followed by Marketplace from 4 to 4.30. Then it's all things considered from 4.30 to 6.30. Right now, we return to Fred Monroe and his guests on Central Coast Voices. Fred, I have a question that got called in, and she didn't really want to go on the air, but she wanted me to pass this question on to the panel. Please go ahead. Uh, Maria from San Luis Obispo has a sister who she believes is really struggling with her mental health. And she's looking for some guidance on how do you approach a loved one about worrying about their mental health struggles. And that is a big question, I think. Um, yeah. Um, some suggestions. <laughs> I think it's hard. I, I just want to validate you know, Maria's experience when talking to somebody that you see is struggling, but they're not... Um, coming forward themselves, I th- it's a hard place to be, especially if you love that person and you're, you really want help. I think patience is one of the biggest things that we kind of encourage family members is is it's their journey. And um, mental health recovery is possible for everybody, but you can't you can't force it. And it's like that old saying: you can't lead a horse you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Um, but just patience, letting them know that you're there for them, I think is a big thing. And I think there is some times to be assertive and just say, hey, you know, I, I've seen you struggling. You don't have to talk to me about that right now. But just know that I'm here for you whenever you want to talk to me. Um, I just want you to know that you can and that there's going to be no judgment. You know, I'm still going to love you. I just I want to support you. And and I know that was really instrumental in my own life and my own mental health journey is just somebody saying, hey, you know, I just want to be there for you in any facet that, you know, you want me to be there for you. I can be there for you. Just let me know. 
I don't uh, what about you Lauren or Brooke what do you feel I mean I feel like when the time comes just listening practicing um like empathy active listening um when the time comes and she does talk to you or you planting seeds just always talks about planting seeds and part of the work that we do is planting seeds so just you know letting her know that you're there for when the time comes and when she would like to talk yeah I think that just being there goes a long way and and being that safe person to that you know maybe she didn't feel like she had before um and you know, trying not to feel like you have to solve all the an- all the problems or have all the answers in that moment, but being that safe person to go to really goes a long way. I think all three of you have a a very connected perspective on that because what it really amounts to is who makes the first gesture, and I think you may end up in situations a lot where all that person needs to know is that you're aware they might need some support from you, but they need some. But if you're the one that says to them, um, I'm here for you, that becomes a lot easier than them having to say to you, are you here for me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I I think of my own mental health journey um, where oftentimes I feel, it, first of all, I just want to say that it's it's normal to struggle it, it's mental health is something that affects everybody to some facet, you know, and it's hard, I think, as we live our lives and, and we're being productive, we're working our jobs, we're being productive in our families, we're being parents, sisters, brothers, mothers, fathers, grand, you know, parents. I think it's hard to, to admit that your, your facade or your mask, we call it a lot of times a mask, is cracking, Um and it can be a little bit off-putting when somebody um, says, hey, you know, I, I've noticed that your mask is cracking a little bit. But it's also really great to know that, yeah, just to leave it as I'm here to support you no matter what. And I'm not going to, you know, you can come to me. I think just that approach is a lot because it takes a lot, you know, um, especially – uh, if you were raised in, um, I was raised in a, a traditional kind of Mexican household where we didn't talk about mental health. We, it was pull up your bootstraps. If you feel sick or if you feel sad, go outside and work and uh, you'll feel better in an hour and a half. Um, and so it's sometimes it's hard to admit to yourself, like, I need to take a break. I need to, you know, but to know that you have people there that are not going to judge you, but just listen to you and, and not try to silver line things. Um, I think that that's really important. Yeah, and that's why I think, you know, these groups are so important in starting with teens and, and preteens and um and kids is, is so important because, you know, eventually they're going to have families of their own one day. They're going to be parents one day. And it's important to start to build those skills and develop that toolkit, that mental health toolkit early on. So that way, as life happens, they have resources, they have tools that they can refer back to mm-hmm. to help them navigate things as they come up for themselves, for a loved one, for a friend, for another family member. One of the things that... Um in some of the information you shared with us is the the concept of kids understanding they may not have a support system because they they may expect school is the center of their life mm-hmm. but our school system is set up in such a way probably rightfully so that the teachers are not expected to 
to overstep the bounds of people's own privacy and space. We keeping this non-political as best I can. We we currently live in a society where what gets shared in school and what gets shared among um, people in school environments is challenged a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've ever seen things like the amount of uh, of de- debating whether or not books are appropriate uh, in a library and what does or doesn't get censored. My hunch is that kind of struggle may get in the way a lot with the very kids that you're looking to talk to. Yeah. Um, it's very disheartening that that is a real um, roadblock in our way. Um, and, and I just I, – I think my main my main push and what I would really want someone to take away from this program is that, you know, talking about mental health doesn't encourage suicide. It doesn't – it doesn't encourage, you know, feel like – you know, it doesn't encourage, oh, yeah, be depressed. No, talking about it really just helps kids understand they have so much going on in their lives already. And we're talking as young as elementary kids. Like, there's a lot in our world that they are facing that has been just unprecedented. They have gone through a pandemic. They have gone through multiple wars. They have gone through, now we're looking at, you know, financial crisis. And this affects our kids. As much as we shield them, it affects them, and they see it. And it's important, I think, for parents to as speaking as a parent, is to, to talk to your kids. You know what I mean? Talk to your kids. Ask them how they're doing. And when you – we all have that gut feeling. We all know, like, something's not right. It's okay to reach out for help. Our department – you know, our, we're here talking about our services for the kids and for the teens and the young women. But our program also, our TEMA in general, has a wonderful family services department where if you don't know that language or if you feel hesitant to talk – you can call our family services. You can call that main hotline, ask for family services. And these are people who have been parents, who have been grandparents, and they can help you navigate that. And then there's a wonderful support group that happens on Tuesdays where you can Zoom in or you can come in person. And this is people who have been dealing with this for years, and they are a great wealth of information. And so I totally get it, like, you know, the roadblocks that happen, but it starts with conversation, and these conversations need to happen. My hunch is if someone gives a a teenager the phone number to call and just says, put it in your phone. You're telling, you're telling me you don't need this, and that's fine. But put it in your phone now and just leave it there because there, you have an unlimited number of spots on your phone, your phone database to do this. Um, Somebody is going to take that phone number and just call out of curiosity because they're not quite sure what they need, and that may be the kind of the way you start that. Yeah, I think it's great because our hotline also does texting. I send my kid with the hotline stickers to school, the chapsticks, and I tell her, give them to all your friends because when push comes to shove and somebody comes to you, especially if you're a teen, having that number in your back pocket, in your phone, on your chapstick – on a sticker on your binder, you have something tangible to do with that person when they're immediately asking for help. You have a, a pathway to give them help, and, and it's it's not just you. You have a whole other support team that's ready and willing to help you on the so phone. You, so you have giveaway chapsticks with the phone number for Transitions Mental Health on them. Yeah, with the hotline number, yeah. 
What a great! Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just a, I'm just startled. It's a very clever resource. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A different phone number for the moment. If you'd still like to call in and, and uh, share some observations or um, address some questions, and as Brad was able to do, if you call in with a question but you don't want to be on the air, that's fine. Also, give us a call at eight zero five seven eight one three eight seven five. That's seven eight one three eight seven five. We're down to about the last 13 or 14 minutes of the program, so we want to make sure that, uh, that that's something that we can be part of for you if that's important. If you'd like to call at the last minute or you want to tell Brad that you would like your phone number um, given to any of our guests for maybe a contact after the program, we can do that also. Everybody gets to set their own boundaries, and that's important to everybody. So um, let's proceed with that. We I asked it before the break and I'll ask it again. So if I if if I were to call in and wanted help, I realize we're talking about teenage girls here, not seventy two year old men. But but okay, anybody who wants to call in and talk to Transitions Mental Health, it, my hunch is there for some people. There's a fear. Okay, I'm going to have to give them all kinds of information. It's kind of like going to the doctor's office. They want to see my my medical card and they want to see my driver's license or my school id and i'm going to give them all this information and i'm going to be scared to death to do that i just want help i don't want to have to give away my life history to get it um so what happens when people call in uh, when people call in specifically for the group we just ask are, you know, we just let them know, actually. We just let them know a bunch of information like, hey, this is a female identifying process group. So if anybody open that identifies as female um, is welcome. And then we will let them know the time, which is, uh, it is at 4.30 to 6 p.m. And then we'll give them the address, which the address is 1306 Napomo Street in Slow. And then that's it. We will just leave it at that. But like, I hope you see you there. Um, and then I, I might throw in a little bit like, hey, what happens in group is confidential, kind of go over confidentiality with them and let them know that that will also be a part of the group as well, talking about confidentiality, that what happens in group stays in group. And we want to make sure that that happens and stays that way. And if you are in school or you're here and you're homeless, this is a program still available to you. No one is going to ask for evidence of where you live or what you're connected to or what school you go to. No, it's open to anybody that yeah. just is between the ages of about 13 to 18 and female identifying. And as you can tell from my guests in the, in the room, there are people involved in this that aren't much older than you are, and they have been through other experiences that lends this to them, and that's part of what we want to talk about. The... I want to go, go if we will, to, for a moment to some of the information from the CDC study because when I read through some of the, the information on that, I was very startled. Um, the, the suicide-inclined person who, gets, who got studied in the, – the, well, in the CDC study did a lot of research and, and got a lot of statistics that um, – but the population of young women who are suicidal is pretty much about twice what it is for young men. And the, the number of women who are depressed, young women who are depressed, is drastically higher than it is for men. And 
as as the guy in the room, I have to tell you to some extent that's kind of surprising because I always figured that the the women spoke to each other and supported each other better than the men did. It seems like that's not a key factor here. I think that I mean, and I'm not a, a researcher, but I think the statistics amongst girls and and women are higher because we do talk about it and it is reported more. Um, I think that the national statistic for completed suicides is higher for adult men. um, And that's because they're not reaching out because they're silenced, because there is that, um, you know, societal gendered norm amongst men to be manly, like, you know, like we were talking about earlier, to not share your emotions. Um, So whereas, you know, as, as females, typically we have that advantage to have those conversations and lean on each other and be more upfront with our emotions. Um, but it, it, it really just depends on, um, you know, your identity and, and where you're at in life. I think also, too, um, dif- depression and, and anxiety look different sometimes in male and female. I think depression often comes off as irritability or anger in males. Um, and so, you know, I think society looks at that and they're like, oh, they're just angry. They're just an angry man. You know what I mean? It's not. And there's kind of no other further questioning like, oh he's just mad you know that's just who he is um but we i think knowing that too like irritability frustration those are those are key symptoms of depression in males this is a program for teenage girls mm-hmm. there are other things you've talked about that transition mental health does um, obviously a a 16 year old boy is not going to come to the support group but i it occurred to me that there may be some boys out there that wonder okay if this is all for girls what's around for me and i'm wondering um but transition mental health has other things available and other resources so we're talking about a specific program Mm -hmm. that um is is new and available and important but we may have part of our listeners who fall fall on the other side of that equation yeah um like we, we've talked about before tima has a wide breadth of services there's a lot under our umbrella um for those you know young men out there that are struggling um you know our bhn department would be a good a good start for us um and you can call in you can talk to somebody who is around your age as well we have a couple of interns we have uh fernanda who is our uh full-time behavioral or not part-time, uh, but our regular Tay Behavioral Health Navigator um, that can kind of come and help you and, and talk to you. And, and um, the the main purpose of our program is really just to, to listen and to give you resources and to help you navigate the mental health system because it can be really challenging. Yeah, and I think that with our services specifically and with mental health support in general, there's never a one-size-fits-all mm-hmm. approach, and that's something we really take to heart. When we work with an individual, we see them as the individual. Um, our first step is to just listen to what their needs are, and then we go from there and we work one-on-one with the individual to develop a plan based on their needs, not based on what our perceptions are, what we think they need. It's really meeting them where they're at and seeing what's worked in the past, what might work, and being that um, that support and that guidance throughout the entire journey. I think it's important too that 
it's a whole it's a whole like village right the, the thing is like it takes a village to raise a child well you know we have a lot of services so yes you can come in and get services for your own but your loved ones can come in and get resources and get services as well because it's difficult you know and then we also have other steps in your journey like if you're pursuing employment we can lead you to some really great community partners that can help with that mental health doesn't always just i mean therapy and and psychiatry or psychology those are all important steps but um, I, my daughter went to um, Aspire. It's a local, great local program. And uh, one of the things that I really enjoyed about them is like, you know, therapy is therapy, yes, but also being a part of a good team, like a good sports team, or being part of a good club or a good church or a good group of people, that can also be therapeutic. And so all those, yeah, all those resources come into play in, in helping to tackle mental health. Yeah. I want to add real quickly, if you happen to be a teacher or someone who falls in one of the categories of the groups that we've been talking about that can support kids, there are resources available if you contact Transitions Mental Health Associates, Association. Um, we, we were talking about uh, – Trista was talking about the, the chapstick with the phone number on it or cards that can be given out. So if you're a school teacher and you feel like you can't say anything to your kids other than give them some basic information, that's available also. I usually make sure the last few minutes of the program get me to be quiet and my guests to talk about what's important to them that we make sure that we don't forget. Lauren, I'm going to start with you. Uh, just briefly, what do you want to make sure that people who are listening to this um, and may need the services here or more information, what they need to know? I would just want people to know that are listening that, you know, TEMA provides support for them. Um, they provide active listeners. Like Brooke was saying, we will meet you where you're at. Um, no judgment. Um, just real peer support um, outlets, especially in the groups. Um, just coming in with an open mind is all we ask. And, you know, we'll be there for you every step of the way from there, um, whether you need someone to talk to or just someone to be around. Um, just knowing that you're not alone and that we will be there to support you in whatever way you need. Um, that's just what I would want people to take away from this. Thank you, and we're mm -hmm. glad you're here. Brooke? I would say I think it's imperative that as a community we keep bringing these conversations, we keep having these discussions and these, these conversations. The more that we brush these things off and turn our cheeks, the more these things fester and, and build and overflow. So the more that we have these discussions, educate ourselves, support each other, the more we destigmatize mental health and the more we can, you know, build a community that's knowledgeable on how to support each other with our, our mental health struggles. And the more that we then encourage people to reach out. And I think it just builds a, a more sustainable community that's, you know, well-versed in all things mental wellness. Thank you. Trista. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, first and foremost, I, just, I really want to hit home that it's normal to struggle. It's normal to have a mental health concern, issue, whatever you want to call it. It's normal. It's a normal part of life. And so don't, like Lauren said, don't feel alone. Um, and help is a, is a phone call, a text message, an email away you know you can check out our website just google transitions mental health association you can see all of our programs there and 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 just really you know get the help you deserve it and, and you 
are worthy of it. I think another thing I really want someone to walk away with, if you are an educator um, in our area and you're interested in having um, some of our high school program services come to you, you know, teaching in classrooms about mental health, they have lesson plans that can span a couple of days, they have one that goes one day, um, you know, hey, reach out to us. Um, we are working with Slow, we're, uh, Slow High and Morro Bay, and Atascadero has its own wellness center. There's a lot of good resources on schools, and so if you are looking for more, reach out to us. And then um, for the teens, you know, um, I just want to say, I know it's hard. You know, I, I am, I'm 38, so I'm far removed from high school um, a long way ago. But I have a kid, and I know, and I see her struggles between grades and sports and trying to manage it all. It, It's a toll. And so, you know, reach out, get that help. You know, if you are not finding safety in those around you, please just call our number and reach out and we can help get you some resources. And then for the parents, I just want to say be open. Um, be open for when your kid comes to you with that conversation. And um, speaking as a parent, it was really scary when my daughter came to me and told me that she was thinking about suicide. Um, and But to know that you have resources in our community like Tima, like um, Capslow, there's so many other ones that are here to help you navigate that so you're not alone um, and to get your kids the help because it's it's important so I think we can leave it with that this has been Central Coast Voices thank you for being with us thank you to my guests um, Central Coast Voices as I've told you before is a project of action for healthy communities which is part of the um, a project for the Community Foundation of San Luis Obispo County and along with KCBX, we've been able to put on this program for some time now. The program is underwritten by a grant from Joan Gellert Sargent, and we thank her for her support. You can contact us at voices at kcbx.org with feedback, suggestions for programs, um, observations. This program will be available on uh, audio on, on the KCBX website, usually by late this afternoon, if not by the next day or two, so you can share it with other people or refer, refer to resources on it that you might find helpful. Thank you to my guests today, Trista Ochoa, Brooke Cleaver, and Lauren Mineta, and I thank them for being here to talk about a very candid topic, and this is important, and if you have any need for services, please just reach out to Transitions Mental Health Association.